Welcome back to the Traverse Theatre's Open Submissions Workshop podcast, where we give you the tools to take you from idea to draft. If you follow us on social media, you'll have noticed some really exciting news from us this week. For the first time, we're bursting out of August and extending our Traverse Vessel programme throughout the rest of 2020 and beyond. Where August would usually mark the world coming to the Traverse, this year we're taking our festival programme directly to you, wherever you are, for the first time ever. One of the most loved elements of our annual Traverse Festival programme, The Breakfast Plays, returns this year for the first time as a podcast series. Breakfast plays are a key part of our creative development programme for writers, bringing brand new plays by early career writers who are often alumni of our Traverse Young Writers Group to the world and showcasing the best new Scottish writing talent right now. So as you might have guessed, yes, we're releasing a brand new podcast that you can listen to wherever you get your podcasts from on Monday the 24th of August. In celebration of our new podcast series and to let you know what's in store, we wanted to introduce you to the writers behind it. So today you'll hear from Jamie Cowan, Rebecca Martin, Conor O'Loughlin, Amy Rianne Milton and Uma Nadaraja about the inspirations behind their plays and the process of writing them. If you're enjoying the series so far, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us at Traverse Theatre or email us info at traverse.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get these workshops straight to your feed as soon as they're released each Wednesday. What's your name and what's the name of your breakfast play? My name's Uma Nadaraja and my play is called The Water Cooler. My name is Conor Lachlan and my breakfast play is called Doomsdays. Uh, my name is Amy Rianne and my breakfast play is called Matterhorn. Hi, my name's Rebecca Martin and my breakfast play is called Rabbit Catcher. My name's Jamie Cowan and my breakfast play is Contemporary Political Ethics or How to Cheat. What's your breakfast play about and what inspired you to write it? Contemporary Political Ethics is a play that takes place during the final hour of a general election at the country's quietest polling station. And it's really about three very different people from very different walks of life who have gathered here for the final hour and are just trying to make it to the end, hopefully without killing each other. Um, What inspired me to write it is this sort of idea that at the moment, people are treating politics a bit like sports teams in that you kind of pick your team. And once you're a part of that, you don't care about anyone else. You only care about winning at any cost. And that to me, I think is a really strange and sort of disturbing idea, especially in regards to politics, which affects everyone's way of life. And that was something I wanted to explore a little bit further and kind of see just how dark and how aggressive it can really become in this day and age. I started this play in lockdown. Um, it was it was the time like where it was just before the killing of George Floyd and I, it was that kind of sense of impending tension where you felt like America was just about to implode and watching it all happen kind of through social media which felt so claustrophobic and um, And yeah, it's a play about um, love and friendship and um, communicating or failing to communicate across the chasm of race and be that black or brown or white. Um, And yeah, I guess uh, it's also a play about institutions and the inability of institutions to change. It's set in Durham Cathedral. Um, I'm from Durham and it has always been a very inspiring place for me. It's so beautiful. 
and I like a lot of sci-fi. I like a lot of time, strangeness, and I really wanted to combine the two because that seemed like a good combination. Inside of the cathedral is the last community left alive, or what they assume is, and three women, um, sometimes who are there, sometimes who are not. I'm not sure how to describe it without kind of giving it away. Um, but basically inside the cathedral is the last place in the world where time still works as in it goes in the forward linear motion that we all experience it and then outside of cathedral is where time is what they describe as being undone and where they describe as no cause and effect and it kind of messes with their reality. Doomsdays is centered around a meeting slash confrontation between former members of the 2012 Doomsday cult uh, taking place many years later. Um, so on the one side there's the ex-leader who has since been able to move on and, and move past it and then two former followers who have not, who've not found that to be true for themselves. Um, and then we also get some flashbacks to give us an insight into what their life was like back in 2012, um, especially that pivotal moment when the apocalypse didn't happen. And I suppose it began with me asking quite a glib question to myself, which is, uh, would those who suspected that the world was going to end in 2012 feel in some way vindicated by everything that's happened since? Um, and as I developed that thought, um, it ultimately suggested the characters, which later suggested a setting, which then suggests kind of the bones of a narrative. Um, I think it's always a case of landing on enough of those maybe happy coincidences that ultimately become the overall um, story or, or um, the, the um, design. As a contemporary mythology, it takes place in the Scottish Highlands, looking out to Inverness in the Black Isle on a hill called Ord Hill. Rabbit Catcher is half in our world and half in an otherworldly one, where legends are formed, devils rule, and deities are birthed from the dead talk. It explores violence, mythology, poetic language, and aims to deglamorise the Highlands. Of the grim tale of Wren, who lost her life in Ord Hill and her realisation of how she was murdered and who she is destined to become after her death. There's also symbolisms throughout the piece about rape culture. One of the main inspirations for Rabbit Capture is the Highland landscape itself. Its partnership in beauty and brutality. I want to tell a story that contextualises this into words and imagery through poetic language and to use that language in the de-glamorisation of the land. I also want to offer audiences a different perspective about the Highlands that isn't the narration of the Highland clearances and the Battle of Culloden. I believe it's important to showcase a different representation and a contemporary voice from the Highlands about the Highlands. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of writing your breakfast play and how did it change throughout the process? The process was um, fantastic in that it was the same as if the play was being produced in any format and also the same um, that someone would have um, gone through even if they had 20 credits to their name um, because ultimately it's about um, drafting and redrafting and um, getting the, um, the play down to a form that, um, that can fly once it's in front of actors. So I think very visually, so part of my process of writing is visualizing myself in that world that I've created. So for example, how the sunlight may shine on a character or the sound of a pine cone falling from the tree and how it's sound landing on the ground. I need to see it in my head, experience it as if it were a film. 
but it wasn't until Breakfast Place I realised one of my processes in writing is actually drawing, illustrating scenes or a character or a particular feeling or symbolism about Rabbit Catcher's world became extremely important and vital throughout my journey. So this one here, it's a bit macabre, but my play is a little bit macabre. So you can see here um, a rabbit on top of the dead skull and a quote from my play, I am the favourite one. So basically I um, would search on Pinterest if I find something inspiring that related towards my script, I would have the need to draw it in my version. And you can see here, there's a girl with a crown on, even though there's not a crown, a girl with a crown on my plate. But um, it was vital in my process. Um, just whenever I had a writer's block or whenever I wanted to create a certain motion, it was really handy to draw out first. The process of writing it was quite interesting because I kind of started with this idea of I didn't really know exactly what the shape of it was going to be just yet. I knew that I wanted three people who were radically different from each other to kind of be locked in one room together. But I didn't really know where it was going to go from that. So a big part of the play for me was just trying to figure out how these personalities clash with each other and how that would kind of naturally bring about this conflict that arises over a really minor and simple issue that could be resolved quite easily. Um, and it was also really a case of trying to make sure that the comedy came through it as well. That was something I think in some of the earlier drafts, it was a bit tricky to kind of weave that comedy in with the actual story and the politics and the characters. So over the course of the, uh, the writing process, it was really a case of trying to find this really fine balance between the development of the characters and the plot, while also making sure it's entertaining to listen to for the audience. What was it like creating a play for an audio and podcast format? How did it differ from creating a play for the stage? Yeah, so I've never done that before. Um, and I remember I used to listen to like audio, like cassette tapes when I was a kid. And I like absolutely loved them. And I've never really listened to like radio drama before. But I had the love of it there. Because I know I'm a very visual thinker. A lot of my first draft had like big combat scenes and fights and explosions. I was like, okay, what does this um, feel like now that it's um, an audio kind of experience? And then suddenly we got all of these like voices coming through and these whispers and basically just finding other forms for all the physical things that I put in there to like have a different life as something more audio. That was, that was fun. It was a challenge and yeah, I enjoyed doing that. It was good. To in radio in particular, and I think it's maybe important in every play, but because radio or audio um, does need an extra level of maybe immediacy or clarity, um, make sure that every character has a clear intention, um, a clear obstacle to that intention and a clear tactic to, to overcome it. Um, and then there's some of the, I suppose, other um, maybe more expansive um, things that you can do in audio. So making use of sound effects, um, maybe making use of um, the, the distance between characters to, to um, tell an interesting story or give an interesting kind of subtext. Um, and then I would say the ending. Um, the ending is much bigger than would otherwise have been the case. Um, it definitely goes places that it would, um, just from a purely practical point of view, it wouldn't have been possible um, to, to, to do. Um, so, and in some ways I think it changed, um, it changed in very specific ways as well. So, um, kind of introducing 
a, a concept where two characters confront someone from their past. Um, I feel like if it had been a staged version of that, um, they would have been much more polished about what they were trying to do um, because you could make use of that kind of, you know, Pinteresque silences and menace. Um, but instead, um, I uh, went through to making them much more talkative, so they're less polished. Um, and then uh, maybe that adds a whole new dimension to the story. Um, they can you know, accidentally provide some of the tools that you can use to get out of that situation. Um, so I do feel yeah, I changed in lots of ways, big and small. It definitely was a little bit tricky at times um, as for myself I really needed to write the stage version before I was able to write the audio slash podcast version of the piece and I did have to remind myself later on that is for audio and to cater towards that format. Um, I listened to um, podcasts called Soundstage which is created by the playwrights Horizons Theatre in the US which helped me thinking about different ways in telling the rabbit capture story through this medium. What was it like to rehearse your play remotely? Rehearsing the play to me was as beneficial as any other kind of rehearsal. Um, I feel I'm very much still learning how to be a writer in a rehearsal room and how to be an asset in that situation. And even though everything was being done remotely, it still felt as close as possible to that um, experience. Um, it was directed by Debbie Hannon, who did a phenomenal job and I think uh, made sure that we you know, hit the ground running and ne never really stopped. And likewise, the actors, they very quickly got to grips with not just the characters, but then all of the extra technological elements that, um, that the recording called for. It is something that kind of gives you a very interesting new perspective on the rehearsal process and kind of starting off it's maybe a little bit tricky and a little bit unusual at first but as you kind of get into it and get to see the actors really get into the pace of it and get into the swing of it it starts to become something really quite exciting to watch happen even though it's happening remotely so um again i'd say it was definitely fun definitely challenging but i think it's something that i'll remember forever in terms of the sheer uniqueness of having done it this way um, i would say theater it's ultimately about establishing a connection so firstly um, there's the connection amongst the creative team and then later the connection with the audience and I think it really speaks to the power of that connection that it still comes through even when everyone is at a distance um, and then I'm sure the same will hold true of that connection once out um, in the world. I was a bit nervous about like eight hours on Zoom but it was an absolute dream. Um, the, the team were really great. Uh, the actors are actors that I tremendously admire. Um, and yeah, working with Debbie and yourself was just wonderful. So it was, um, it was just a delight, really. How does it feel to have your play premiere as part of the Traverse's first digital festival? It's really exciting, to be honest. Um, it's really amazing how this process has been adapted around everything that's happened over the last few months. So getting to be a part of something this kind of bold and exciting and new is really, it's really quite a big honour, I think. It's uh, definitely something that I'm really proud to be a part of. I couldn't believe that I got a breakfast play in the first place. I remember seeing them last year and seeing people in them and just loving them so much. And yeah, we don't get like the breakfast roll and cup of tea this time, but we can make those in our own homes. But the fact that it's even still happening, the fact that like Travis is still making something happen, even in this strange world that we now have to all have online. I think that's pretty amazing. And I feel very kind of 
privilege to be a part of it really because lots of other things just stopped so it feels pretty special how are you planning to celebrate the premiere of your breakfast play are you going to be hosting a virtual listening party i'm sure everyone is saying this but a breakfast roll is a must definitely a bottle of bubbles will be on the table i do plan to have a wee hosting party at some point but i think i want to listen to rabbit catcher by myself enjoy the experience rather than be concerned by other people's facial expressions their opinions i just want to really merge myself in that experience say over the last few years some of my happiest festival memories would involve being in the trav bar after a show and kind of dissecting it with everyone so it'll be interesting to find a way to keep doing that even from separate locations right i guess the one great thing about writing is that it becomes like as soon as you get to a stage where you're you're happy with what you created you you pass it along and it becomes something completely different and someone else's so yeah it's yeah I'm really looking forward to listening to it. I will be with my family and they not many of them have had a, an opportunity to see my work um, especially since I moved to Edinburgh and it'll be really quite special to be able to like just put it on and have it on in a room where like my grandparents are there and like friends are there who've never yeah, the fact that people are going to be able to hear it from anywhere, that's really special. You can watch or listen to all available Open Submissions workshops on our website. For more information and to support our talent development work, please see the Support Us page on our website. Every donation makes a huge difference.